John. We are starting a series in John, and here's how we're going to do this. We're going to go through the gospel in about a year, but every three or four weeks, we're going to do another series in there. So we're going to keep it lively. Uh, John is an exciting book. There's a lot of, of theology in it. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but we're also going to put some other stuff in, so just to keep you on your toes. Um, A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you? What comes to mind when you think of God as the most important thing about you? Or what you think about when you think of God as the most important thing about you? So, think about God right now. What comes to mind? Just what, what comes to mind as you think of God? Holiness, love, peace, majesty, amazing grace. Sins are gone. Your life. I like that. Let me add one, one more. What comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Teacher's pet said, same stuff. <laughs> Sacrifice. Healer. The imprint of the invisible God. What'd you say? The light of the world. Yeah. What comes to mind, let me change Tozer's quote just a little bit. What comes to mind when you think of Jesus is the most important thing about you. Do you know that? Yeah. What comes to mind when you think of Jesus is the most important thing about you. But what comes to mind when most people think about Jesus? Is it a crucifix? You know, Jesus on a cross? Is it maybe, you know, for me, my grandma had the, the painting of Jesus praying. <laughs> um, and so that would come to my mind or the, the Lord's Supper, the church I went to had the Lord's Supper painting right up front on their little altar thing. And so here's Jesus with all the disciples. What comes to mind when you think of, of Jesus? And is it something out there or is it very personal? Are there personal things that come to mind when you think of Jesus? Because it's the most important thing about you. And that is why we're going through the book of John. Because we want to get to know Jesus. Do you know that every religion out there, Jesus is in it somehow? Every religion, it seems like, there might be a couple, I, you know, that I'm missing, but they all recognize Jesus. Judaism, they recognize Jesus existed. Of course, they deny that he was the Messiah, but they acknowledge who he was as in a, a good teacher and things like that. Um, Baha'i, Buddhism, all those things, they acknowledge who Jesus is. Uh, Doug, my father-in-law, was telling me about a, a book. Um, what was it called? Now I'm quizzing you. I'm trying to remember. But I looked it up online. Cold Case Christianity. Cold Case Christianity. It, it, like a detective going and examining religion. And every religion has Jesus, which is kind of weird. He's the one consistency between them all. Some even acknowledge that he was born to a virgin and that he died on a cross. But they deny a lot of the others. And so what I want to do is I want to go to John so that we can get to know the real Jesus. This series is going to be called The Real Jesus. And the one today is called The Incarnation. But the, the real Jesus. Jesus said eternal life is that you know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. And that starts now. So we want to get to know Jesus. Let me pray before we really start talking about John. Jesus, we want to know you. Our life is about you. Somebody said that. What comes to mind when you think about Jesus' life? You are life. You are our life. 
And anything of value we do, we know it's simply an overflow of what you're doing in us. Jesus, we know that our goal in life is to be like you. That's what sanctification is, the process by which we get rid of our flesh and become more and more like you, Jesus. And so the more we know you about you, but then actually knowing you and the closer we get to to you, the more that's able to happen. So Lord Jesus, please reveal yourself to us. Let us get to know you through your word, experientially as well, through your church. Let us get to know you and let us respond correctly. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to the book of John. If, uh, if you're in this Bible, it's page 612. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? There's some in the back. We'll hand them out. No big deal. Um, that's good. If you have your phone, turn to your phone. That's good. We use the ESV version. Again, not because it's best. It's just what we use. So you can use whatever version you want. But I'm reading out of the ESV. And we're going to be looking in John 1. But real quick, the book of John was written by the Apostle John. So this is the one throughout this book, it'll refer sometimes to the apostle whom Jesus loved. That's John. John is writing of himself when he says that. Um, May sound a little arrogant to call yourself that, but he was arguably the closest one to Jesus. He was probably Jesus's best friend. They had a very unique relationship. John was the oldest living apostle. And he wrote this book in probably close to 90 AD decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So you've probably heard the term synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're very, very similar to each other. And they were written decades before John. So John comes along, well, he'd always been along, but he writes the book of John when he is an old, old man. Decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written. And so it's different. It's not one of the synoptic. The book of John is different than the others. And it's very personal. John was probably pretty young. He was probably the youngest of the disciples. And so he was close to Jesus. And you get this picture as you look through when Jesus was at the, the last supper, you know, and who was it that was leaning on him? It was, it was John. And so he was probably a little bit younger than the rest because he and Jesus had a unique relationship. So John was younger. Jesus died, we know, around 33 AD. This book was written close to 90 AD. So do the math. If John was 20, when Jesus died, he's close to 80 when he wrote this book. He's an older man now, and he's remembering things that happened way before. And as he writes, he puts in details that only somebody there could, could remember. You know, when the, the perfume, somebody washed Jesus' feet with perfume, he talks about how the whole house was filled with the smell. He's remembering being there, and he's writing with a purpose. It's later in life. He's now living in Ephesus. We know Paul founded the church in Ephesus. But John is now living in Ephesus and he's called the elder. He's a pastor and he's you know, probably a pretty popular guy right now. And so he writes the book of John, kind of maybe filling in some gaps. Here's another thing. 10 years before, roughly 10 or more years, 10 to 20 years before the writing of this book, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. So Jews sacrifice in the temple, they worship in the temple. It's gone at this point. It's been gone for a long, long time. And so it's a different world that John is writing to than when Jesus walked the earth. And so it's helpful to keep some of those things in mind as we look, and we'll bring those up as we come. But John begins his book in a beautiful way, a beautiful way. And we're going to look at that prologue today, John 1, and we're really going to go 1 through 18. 
and see how he opens this up. It is, it is really awe-inspiring. So I, let me encourage you, open up your hearts as we read this. You've probably read this dozens, if not hundreds of times, but open up your hearts. Let me, let me begin. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Does that, do those verses resemble anything else in Scripture? Genesis 1. Genesis 1 1 starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on. Look how this begins. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. John intentionally mirrors Genesis 1. It actually gives me chills thinking of it because I have to give away. John is trying to make the point very, very clearly. Jesus is the father. The father who created in Genesis 1, that's who we're talking about. Who do you see so far? Now, I I, I spoiled it a little bit, but verses 1 through 4, who's it talking about? the word, and who is the word very clearly in these verses? I'm tricking you guys. You said Jesus, and you're right, but we don't know that yet. It's God, very clearly. He's trying to make the point up front. The word is God. The word is God and was God. So this is in your notes if you're a note taker. The prologue of John beautifully mirrors the creation account in Genesis 1. The word is is revealed as the agent of all creation. Look at, the, look at this. Uh, he was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word is the agent of creation. The word here used for word is logos or logos, however you wanna say it, but it's, it's the revealed word. And you see this throughout the Old Testament, the the word shows up and the word is always God's self-revelation. He speaks through a prophet and the prophet brings the word from God. But here the word we do know is Jesus because look on at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on. This book is Christological. That's a big word, but it means that John is about Jesus. That's why we're going to dwell on this book because life is about Jesus. We want to get to know Jesus. That's why we're in John. It's all about Jesus. There's theology in here and it's awesome. Some of it's really deep stuff, but it's really all about Jesus. If we focus primarily on Jesus and and let theology, a lot of those secondary things be secondary, we would have a lot more unity in our church. And I mean the church, the American church, the worldwide church. We'd have a lot more unity if we kept Jesus first and the secondary things, secondary. There are some things that are absolutely primary, and we're looking at one of those, that Jesus is God. So look with me. Keep, keep looking. Um, well, actually, more on those. Here's, this is in your, your notes. The word here, the word, is God's powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. Remember in Genesis 1, how did God create everything? He spoke. Yeah, he spoke. And it was created. He didn't have to get off his stool. I don't know if he had a stool. Maybe he made a stool first so he can sit on it and create from it. But he spoke and everything was created. And the word is the agent of that creation. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning. He. So now the word is personal. He was in the beginning with God. 
Some will argue Jesus was the Father's, was God's first creation. So the Word was God's first creation, but that can't be with the way this is worded. Look, it says, all things, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is doing this on purpose. He wants you to know that the Word was not created. Jesus, therefore, was not created. That is a big deal. That's a piece of theology we have to hold to, that Jesus was not the first creation. Jesus was not created. Going back to Genesis, as we understand creation, here's what I want us to get a picture. Uh, What did God create at the beginning? You know, he created in six days and on the seventh day he rested. But he began, he created the heavens and the earth. He created the the universe. Um, If you're familiar with the Hubble telescope, I think we have a picture of the Hubble telescope. It was launched in the 90s, I believe. Um, That's really cool. But when the Hubble telescope went and it it exited out of our atmosphere, it started taking pictures unlike any we could ever have before. And for one spot, I think it was in 94 or 95, it took pictures, a series of pictures um, of just one area. And it kept taking these pictures and then put them all together. And in that picture, it was full of galaxies. So show us, yeah, check it out. These different kind of galaxies that are all throughout that the Hubble telescope was able to take pictures that of course, from here we can see, we see stars and some of the stars we see are galaxies, but you get up closer and they're ridiculous. You know, did God make that just so that we could later <laughs> put this telescope out there and see him? Or did he create them mainly for his own pleasure? I don't know, but he made these. Now, this, the Hubble telescope, as it took these pictures, in 03 and 04, it did it again. In the same area, it took these pictures and it showed 10,000 galaxies in this one frame. They took these pictures, 10,000, ga- not 10,000 stars, 10,000 galaxies in one frame. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. That's one galaxy. How many stars are in our galaxy? How many planets? How many a lot. Our solar system is just a little piece of our galaxy. There's 10,000 galaxies. So they estimate, what, what do they estimate? That there are um, 100 billion galaxies. But the same people that make that estimation say when technology increases, we're going to discover there's probably more like 200 billion galaxies. How many people are on the earth? Seven or eight billion. Yeah, close to eight billion. Yeah, compared to 200 billion galaxies. Does that blow your mind yet (laughs) at all? Now, this is the word that created all of that. Possibly just purely for his own glory. Now, let's bring that down to earth. Just look at the earth and look what God created here. Animals. If you ever examine animals, my family loves animals. Um, If you've ever been to my house, you know that. But we got a, what was it? Big lizard. Iguana. We got an iguana once. Um, and I built this big cage and we kept it for maybe a year. Um, but right as we, we built the cage, we put the iguana in there and Callie just wanted to sit there and watch it. <laughs> she said, I could just sit here all day and just watch the iguana. I said, why? Look, you put food in it and it eats it. <laughs> but animals are cool. They really are. Um, the chameleon, that its eye does that really cool thing and it can blend in. Uh, the, the platypus. I mean, just look at these animals. Frogs, poison dart frogs. Um, I don't know if that's a poison dart frog, but those are cool. Um, did, did you ever see the movie Rio 2? Anybody with kids see Rio 2? 
and there's a little poison frog. He thinks he's a poison, and he licks himself to die and realizes he's not a poison. Anyway, um, God made really, really cool things. Through the word, Jesus made cool things. Now bring that down to just our bodies and our eyeball. I remember when I was in college studying the eyeball somewhere, and I am not a, a scientist. I am not a biology person. We have some biology teachers here. But if you've ever looked at the eye, it disproves evolution because there's so many different parts of the eye that have to work together all at the same time in order for the eye to have vision. And if any piece is missing, you don't have vision. So evolution couldn't do that. It couldn't produce you know, one piece that doesn't serve a purpose and then hundreds of pieces that by themselves don't serve purpose, but together they cause vision. You know, evolution doesn't work that way. Just look at the eye. It is proof of God's creativity, of his care for us. Who made all of this? The word. <laughs> Jesus made all of this. Again, we're trying to get to know Jesus, Picture that. Jesus is the one who in his creativity made all of these. How many, how many species of animals are there on the earth? I don't know. I wrote it down, but I don't remember it. There's a lot. <laughs> a lot of species. God is very, very creative. Why do you think you're creative? You're made in God's image. And then one more picture. We have a, even just a little baby. Have you ever had a baby? You ever held a baby? You ever looked at that and went, that's a miracle? <laughs> it is a miracle. It'll blow your mind holding a little baby like back there. See, I love having babies in here and I don't care when they cry out. It's awesome. Because these babies are just a testament to God's creativity. Every one of you is a testament to God's creativity. Some of you more than others. <laughs> I did look at my son when I said that. Um, <laughs> God is creative. But here's the point that I want to make, looking at John 1.1. 1, 1. All of that was made by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. The Word. Awesome. Just dwell on that for just a minute. Just think about that. Think about Jesus being a baby. <laughs> the one who made babies became a baby. The one who made the galaxies became a baby. Wow. Wow. Okay, let's look on. Verse 4, it says, In him was life. Again, what did he create at the beginning? Life. And what did he create the second time? New life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Later in John 8, 12, Jesus is going to claim, I am the light. And there's this comparison of light and darkness that we're not going to spend a lot of time on. Um, if you, we're going to start doing a midweek podcast and we have... Um, devotionals for you. Some have said, oh, I've already gone through that devotional book. I need other things. Well, while we go through John, I'm going to give you two a week. Um, they're on the app, so you can get the devotional on the app if you want, or you can grab them on the back. There's two from last week and two from next week. We just want to help you continue to connect up with God, because that's the most important thing. If you do anything, connect with Him. Um, but we're going to talk about this some in this week's podcast. But do you know a match? Say it's, it's pitch, pitch black, pitch black, which I don't know if you can even do this. I don't know how they know this. But it's pitch black. If you light a match, you can see that from a mile away. A mile away, you can see a, a little light, a little tiny match light. That's what the word did. The word came to darkness. This earth was darkness. And he was the light. The light that brought life. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it says this. This is kind of fun. In verse 5, the light shone in the darkness 
And by the way, the darkness is this earth. I would say all that's included in darkness, the world, the flesh, and the devil. All those things that want to draw us away from God, that's darkness. Your own flesh still has some darkness because it wants to sin. So the light shone in the darkness here on this earth, in this world, and the darkness has not overcome it. That word overcome means to grasp forcefully. So here's the picture. Football. If you're a football fan, okay, I'm a football fan. This is how I picture this. The defense is the darkness. (laughs) And you got these 11 players, all they want to do is get a hold of whoever's carrying that ball, grasp them, put them in the ground, and when nobody's looking, kick them, pinch them, pull their hair. That's what darkness wants to do to the light. So you got this running back, Barry Sanders, who gets the ball, and his job is running down the field to get to the end zone. All the defense wants to do is grab them forcefully, put them on the ground, and destroy them. That's what the darkness wanted to do to the light. Jesus, when Jesus entered the world, Things were weird when Jesus entered the world. I've heard some say, why is there so much demonic activity in in the Bible that we don't seem to see now? And I think some of it were ignorant to it now. But also, there was a ramp up. When the word entered earth, the enemy ramped things up a bit and wanted to get a hold of them. And what did they do in the end? Jesus was killed. He was killed, and the darkness at that point thought they overcame it. So here's the picture. This is so silly, but bear with me. The running back running for the end zone, the defense getting, finally that big linebacker gets him and drives him into the ground and kicks him and goes, ha ha, I win. But the tip of that football was right across the end zone. (laughs) Touchdown. They thought they had Jesus beat, but no. With that, it won the victory ultimately. This is the light in the darkness. It's exciting. And if it's not exciting, you're dead. (laughs) <laughs> Look on, verse, verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Notice that word believe. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. There it is again. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. His own people here are the Jews, the Israelites. This isn't anti-Semitic. It's just true. He came to his own people. Jesus' heart was for his people and it said they didn't receive him and they didn't as a whole. But many did. Many individuals did and many of the religious leaders ended up receiving and accepting Jesus and following him. But he came to his own. Verse 12. Are we there yet? Yes. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The way the prologue is structured, there's emphasis on this verse. The, way, the prologue, it's written masterfully. And I mean, we could spend all the time talking about just the literary value of it. Some of you English teachers might enjoy that or whatever. But it points to this verse. This verse is key. And it leads up to this. And what does verse 12 say? To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the climax of the prologue. This is in your notes. The word became a man so that some may become children of God. In John 20, 31, Jesus gives, or I'm sorry, John gives his point for writing this book. John 20, 31 says this, but these things are written 
All these things about Jesus. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this book and it's passed down to us so that we could get to know Jesus so that we might believe that we might have life in him. John is a really good pastor. He wants us to have life. He doesn't want us just to have good knowledge about God. He wants us to experience the life. This is significant, I think. As I was this morning sitting in Starbucks and and wrestling with this and I was picturing, okay, John is now in his 80s and he's sitting there and he's writing this and he's talking all about life and that Jesus came that they may have life. What happened to John's best friends over the decades before this? They were all killed. (laughs) They were all killed for their faith. So this life obviously might look a little different than what we would define life as because his best friends were crucified. Peter, tradition says, was crucified upside down. Some were sawn in half. Some were killed with swords. They were killed. But John is still preaching it at an old age. So in him is life. And this life will cost you everything, but in that you will receive everything. Beautiful You know, as you understand where he's writing from and where he is in life, and he looks back and he says, Jesus is worth it. That's what he's saying. Jesus is worth it. And I want you to have life. And that's what we see in verse 12. All who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That word receive has a connotation of very active volition, meaning something is, is given And somebody receives it, meaning they grab it and pull it in. That's what that word means. So salvation and life in Jesus is receiving him. It's not just believing some things about him. It's not growing up in a Christian home. It's not being religious. God kind of talked to me about that this morning. In Malachi, they were doing all the ritual, but their heart wasn't there. A lot of Christians, we can do the ritual. We can come to church on Sunday. We can maybe even give our 10%, whatever. We can do the ritual, but he wants your heart. Have you received him? Have you grabbed Jesus and brought him in and received him as the gift that he is? That's what he asks. And then we have this relationship. Beautiful. All who received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, sons and daughters of the king. Awesome. Awesome. You, got, you want to just shout out amen, right? That's okay if you do. <laughs> Verse 14, verse 13. Who were born not of blood, back to 12, it's kind of a run on sentence. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Here we finally see the word becomes flesh. The word flesh there is the word sarks. It's the same word that the NIV translates sinful nature, which obviously it won't translate that here because that would be deceiving. But Jesus took on the flesh just like us is the point, just like us. He did not have a sinful nature. Jesus could have sinned, but he never did. But he wasn't born in sin like you and I were born in sin. Because of my mom and dad, I was born in sin. Jesus is the son of God. He wasn't born in sin. But was there one other person, or maybe two, who were born in the same state as Jesus, but did sin? Adam and Eve. Because maybe like me, early on in life, at times I thought, it's not fair. 
Jesus didn't struggle with what I struggled with, but it is fair. He was just like me. Adam and Eve were, they didn't have a sinful nature. They didn't have to sin, but they, but they did. But I do have to sin. But so Jesus, he was born just like you and me. The word says that he was tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. He made it through. So the word took on flesh. Now think back to that picture we already painted of creation. The word that created galaxies, the word that created the eyeball, the word that created little babies became a little baby. Put on flesh. Put on. The best description of what happened is in Philippians. Turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. It's page 677, if you have one of these. But I, I find this to be probably the best description of what happened when God, the Word, put on flesh. Philippians 2, verse 6. I'll start in verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God... That word means exact form. In the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And going on and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word, God, the one who created everything, took his godness and set it aside. He never ceased being God. Now, here's one of those deep theological truths that when you fully understand it, tell me. But he didn't ever cease being God. But yet, he set his, his divinity aside. He emptied himself. And he became in the form just like you and me. Again, he never ceased being God. He had to be God all the time. God can't stop being God. But he put on flesh. Wow. This is called the incarnation. This is God incarnate, incarnation. Jesus is God. This is one of those pieces of theology you have to have. This is not debatable, it's debatable, but this is not one of those secondary issues that you can take it or leave it. Jesus is the living word who created everything in the beginning. Verse, where are we? Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to talk about that later. Dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. A lot of truth there. Go look that up. Go look up tabernacle this week. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. John was older. So he's saying he was before me. John knew. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The truth of who God is comes through Jesus. The grace that allows us to span the gap from our sinfulness to being united with God, that grace was given through Jesus. It's all, again, we come back, life. Somebody said it. What comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Life. That's exactly what we're talking about here. So, here's the question. God sent God to the earth. Why? Grace and truth, part of it, absolutely. 
sacrifice himself so that we could be united with him? Absolutely. Look at the next verse. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Why did God send God? To make himself known. If you've gone through discipleship with me, you've, you've heard this analogy. Imagine an anthill. Okay, we, we've had those floods the past few years. And we used to have an anthill in our ditch right by the bus stop. And it was one of those big ones, red ants all over. And uh, we caught a scorpion or two and put them on the anthill. That was awesome. Um, I highly recommend it. But th- so this anthill was there. The floods came. You know, the 100-year flood that came two years in a row. The floods came and say we knew that flood was coming. And it was going to wipe away that anthill. That anthill's gone. It's not there anymore. I mean, those floods took it. It's out of there. How would I warn these ants of the flood to come? I'd have to become an ant. <laughs> Somehow, I'd have to learn how to speak ant. I'd have to become an ant, walk around there going, hey, there's a flood coming. You better get out of here quick. God sent God to reveal himself to us. God sent many prophets before. He sent Moses to give the law, to point to the Father. He sent other prophets that came to point to the Father. But all of it pointed forward to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Father. He is God's self-revelation. That gives me chills. God walked the earth to go, this is who I am. The disciples, some of the disciples said to Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be good. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Oh my goodness. (laughs) If you know Jesus, you know the Father. And by the way, Jesus lives in you if if you by faith have given your life to him. Jesus is God's final revelation of himself. This is in your notes. Why did God send God to the earth? To make the truth about himself known and to provide the grace needed to give people life in him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Hebrews 1, 1 says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, and by the way, we are living in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Do you know Jesus a little better now than you did before you came in? Maybe you knew this and it's a great reminder. This is your Lord. This is the Jesus that died on the cross for you. He is God's final revelation. We are in the last days and he's coming back. He's coming back and I can't wait till he does. I pray often that his kingdom will come. He will come back and set up his reign and rule. And we're going to struggle till then, but we can rest in who he is. What's our application? You know, I love James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What's our application with these verses? The application that kept hitting me is be in awe. (laughs) Be in awe. Our application from understanding this is going, Whoa. And so this week, I want you to spend all week going, whoa. Meditate on this. Think about this. Do the devotions that we've set for this week. If you didn't do the one from last week, you've got four for this week. Do those. 
dwell on who Jesus is and go, whoa, and then respond with worship. That's why this morning we switched it and we're doing the worship at the end so we can respond, so we can go, whoa. Jesus is, I think this is a note earlier we missed, but Jesus is the word and he is therefore everything that the word is described in John 1, 1. Jesus is everything described in John 1, 1. So let's seek him. Let's respond with worship by obeying, by getting to know him, by going to his word. God the Father, the one who created all, made you a priority. By coming as a man in flesh and by dying on the cross, he made you a priority. How are your priorities? How are your priorities? Does your awe lead you to prioritize God? I sure hope so. It does me. I mean, this morning as I was going back over this, I read Malachi and then I was going through this and all I could do is sit there and go, whoa, whoa. And then I was praying from then till now that you would have the same response from his word, from Jesus' self-revelation, God's self-revelation through his son that you would go, whoa. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna close with worship. We're doing the bulk of worship now. Worship team, you can come on up.